I do this stuff because I want to be alive. I'm, I'm not interested in near-death experiences and taking risks. I, uh, I, I just love this kind of slow tortoise-like pace across the surface. And, and then all of the things that happen on those days. I love waking up and not knowing where I'm going to be sleeping the next night and knowing that even if it's, you know, lying down in a, in a storm drain, you know, it's somewhere to sleep. Uh, it's not the end of the world if you don't have a shelter over your head. is the hard as nails podcast my name is kevin and this is our 12th episode of the series which is brought to you by islands adventure magazine outsider.ie in proud association with great outdoors dublin they always strive to give their customers the best possible advice and top quality equipment for any adventure be it big or small whether you're looking for a camping kit for your next uh, overnight stay up in the hills some gear that will get you through your expedition safely or even if it's just a waterproof jacket to help you get to work on those rainy and windy days great outdoors always have your back go check out their website www.greatoutdoors.ie after listening to this episode now when it comes to taking on different adventures and challenges our guest has most likely done it but with his own unique twist he's an english adventurer who is best known for his expedition 1000 project he's also a writer a filmmaker a motivational speaker an all-round awesome guy it's dave Cornthwaite. Dave, uh, we are so incredibly honoured to have you join us on the Hard as Nails podcast. Thank you for providing us with the opportunity to chat. Kevin, that's an awesome intro. You can come anytime. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Dave, uh, you've been on so many unbelievable adventures over the years. I mean, it's difficult to know exactly where we should start. Uh, how about we start at the beginning? I mean, not all the way back to when you were born, but uh, from your 25th birthday. Let's start there. A moment in your life, I'm sure, I'm convinced uh, you'll never forget. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right back then at the time, I didn't really realize how important it would be, but mm-hmm. When I woke up on, on the morning of my 25th birthday, my, my cat was on my chest asking for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just thought for the first time, I thought, wow, my cat is so much cooler than I am. I was, <laughs> uh, I was kind of painting life by numbers. I, I had everything that I always thought I needed to be, a, I guess, a successful adult. I had a job, a mortgage, a long-term partner and all of that stuff. But I was so depressed. And I, I decided there and then that I, that I needed to say yes more and, and, and sort myself out. So mm. thus embarked, a, I guess, a whole new frame of life. Yeah, like a quarter-life crisis, as uh, one, one would say. <laughs> now, yeah. now, when you made that decision, uh, Dave, that th- the things that had to change in order for you to uh, you know, improve your mood, improve your mental state, uh, give some purpose and meaning to your life, were you nervous at all in the initial weeks that followed that perhaps you had made a mistake, that it would be easier to, to just forget everything, go back to working and living for the weekends? Or, or was your mind completely made up? It wasn't, it wasn't so much made up back then. I, I just knew that I needed to do a little bit more. I think uh-huh. as, as humans, we're the only creatures capable of consciously making a decision to, to develop mm-hmm. simply by acting on an idea or a thought. And I, I, I just wasn't doing that. And I think there's, I, I just felt this excitement as I, as I tried new things. And I, I guess I went places where I'd, I'd not been before. And I, I think it's so important that humans give themselves a chance to, I guess light a fire and mm. and feel that feel that fuel. I really felt like I was I was in the midst of living for the first time, even though I'd been around for twenty five <laughs> yeah. years. And 
it was exciting. It was really exciting. Yeah. And the way in which you started this life of adventure, it's not your run-of-the-mill uh, challenge that you took of, of uh, climbing up a mountain or running an ultramarathon. You decided that for your, your first massive adventure, you were going to skateboard along Britain's end-to-end <laughs> route from John O'Groats to Land's End, making you the first person to do this ever. Now, if over 1,400 kilometers on a skateboard is not enough, you followed up that with another skateboard adventure across Australia, which uh, took an astonishing five months. Why did this have to be your first major challenge and, and not one of your more conventional ones? Way back then, I, I, I didn't really have, a, I guess, a passion for adventure. I, okay. I, w- I went snowboarding and I absolutely loved the feeling of riding a board. And I, but I lived in a town in South Wales which didn't have any snow. So mm-hmm. the natural second step was to get a long skateboard. And it was my first ever skateboard. And I loved this feeling of rediscovering a town I'd lived in for six years mm-hmm. and just e- even if it was just a couple of miles down to down to work or to see some friends I felt that the impact of that of that small journey and then I thought wow you know this is this is opened my eyes a bunch what happened if I do a really big journey mm-hmm. so I, I, I decided to go for the, the distance record uh, on a skateboard just two weeks after I stepped onto it for the oh, first wow. time <laughs> Uh, and that was the Australian route, but I'd never done any endurance before. This was a whole new bag for me. So uh, the skateboard was an obvious vehicle. It was it was the thing that, that opened my eyes. So I, I quit my job and then warmed up by going end-to-end in Britain and then <laughs> headed across to Oz. Yeah. And speaking about the endurance side of it, when you crossed Australia, how did you cope with that? I mean, five months is a very long time. How did you pace yourself? First of all, you, you don't think about the full distance. It, it topped out at about 5,800 kilometers. Sure. So that, that's really daunting, whether or not you've been on a trip before. So I, mm. I just kind of thought about it day to day. I set myself a day target when I woke up each morning uh, and then and then just, just carried on. For, I, I think it's really important to do an adventure or two like this in all of our lifetimes because we really start to understand how our, how our mind and our bodies work, how mm. often we need to refuel and, and what we need to do to keep ourselves uh, ourselves focused and determined. It really is. I'm, I mean, your your guests must have said this time and time again. It's mm. it's so much more mental than physical. If yeah. you if your mind wants you to keep on going, however broken your body is, then mm-hmm. then you'll continue. Wow. And on that Australian adventure, what what would you say for you was the most uh, difficult part of it? The beginning, the middle, the end. Uh, you know, did you have a goal in sight as to how long you wanted to take to complete it? I wanted to keep quite open, although I think as a as a UK citizen, I only had six months on my on my tourist uh, yeah. user, if you like. Mm-hmm. So I needed to complete it within that. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, the hardest bit at the beginning, I would have said, you know, dodging road trains or you know, <laughs> watching out for snakes and spiders yeah. and all the creepy crawlies. Uh, but honestly, I, I had a team with me on that trip. We were raising money for, for three kids' charities, mm. and I didn't feel like I could do it, do that part of justice uh, when I was skating 70, 80 kilometers a day at the mm. same time. So uh, as, as the journey went on, the team dynamics got really, really difficult. I wasn't really in a position to manage it very well because I was... I was super tired and fatigued mm. all of the time. Mm. Uh, so that that became tough. Uh, I think you'll, uh, if, if you kind of dig deeper into the team dynamics of, of anyone who's done a big adventure, it, it's rare that mm. it was all smooth sailing. It's amazing how... Um, I guess the true characters come out when you're in a in a tough situation. Yeah, definitely, and also when you're in a whole different country, experiencing things uh, for for the first time. N- now, now, Dave, some years they they went by when you put all skateboarders to shame uh, back then, and uh, you started off uh, Expedition One Thousand uh, project, twenty five separate journeys of one thousand miles or more, each uh, using a different form of non motorized transport. 
I mean, if you do the math, it's uh, 25 uh, multiplied by 1,000. That gives you roughly the distance around the equator. Very in, uh, mm-hmm. ingenious there of you. Now, now, skateboarding across Australia, it's the number one uh, uh, on the list, and you've done 14 now, if I'm not mistaken. Do you remember yeah. each one of the adventures in order, or is that a challenge in itself? Uh, it's starting to become a challenge, but <laughs> yeah. I, I can recount them if that's the question. <laughs> yeah. And which ones stand out for you the most of the 14? I guess each one came along. I never feel under too much pressure to, to tick one off because I've still got another, you know, 11 to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my purpose from the beginning was to have this long-term focus, uh, a life goal more than a career one, I suppose, which would, uh, which would avoid this kind of post-expedition depression you get after achieving achieving a long-sought goal like skateboarding across Australia but not having anything lined up afterwards. Mm. So bit by bit, I've, I've made choices to go off and do different journeys. I don't train. I try and keep them as cheap as possible. 12 of the 14 have been have cost less than £1,000 uh, to put together, even though most of them take uh, one, one to three months. And uh, each journey is using a different form of non-motorized transport. So... Mm. I guess the the hardest one was swimming down the Missouri. I didn't I didn't really know how to swim when I started that journey, but sure enough, fifty eight days later, I, <laughs> I'm a pretty good swimmer now. Yeah. Uh, the skateboard, of course, kicked everything off. But e- each one has, I, I guess, been a nice little chapter in in an ever evolving lifestyle. And I, mm. I never really kind of set sights on on who or what I wanted to do or be at the end of all of this. Mm. Uh, it's just been uh, I've learned to kind of sit back and just just let life take hold mm. so then how do you decide upon the form of non-motorized transporter that you are going to use is that what you think of first or is it more of this is the point a and this is the point b and i'm going to do it and then i'll decide what type of uh, uh, form of transport i'm going to use kevin it, re- it really varies okay. uh, so i guess there's, there's a there's a couple of different ways uh, once you become a uh, an addict of non-motorized transport it's amazing how much the inbox and your Facebook pages fill up with people suggesting different ways to travel. Okay. I get uh, in, inventors when they've when they've cooked some random form up. I tend to be the first port of call for them to say, "Can you test out our thing by riding a thousand miles?" <laughs> I had a, a couple of years ago a guy had invented this human-sized floating hamster wheel uh, for <laughs> running across the ocean. <laughs> uh, even though my motto is "Say yes more," you're allowed to say no to something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, or it could be. You know, that feeling that I, I talked about right back at the beginning, I feel like, you know, after a journey, I, I need some downtime, whether it's to write a book, create some content or mm-hmm. just do something else and, and get my get my strength back. Mm-hmm. But at some point I wake up and and that fire is lit again and I'm, I'm just ready for something. It could be looking at a certain route to the map. It could be reading a story or a book. Uh, or it could be that suggestion or or a conversation with somebody who I'd like to travel with. Yeah. Um, so many different ways, but it, it just feels right. I think it's really important to to make our decisions based on how we feel rather than, uh, you know, how many how many books you're going to sell or how many likes mm. you're going to get on Facebook or or a record. Uh, it, it's all about feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Dave, when when one challenge is completed, I'm, I'm assuming that you don't really know what the next one is going to be. You don't you don't plan it that way. But in order for this project to keep going and and, and growing again, better, not and not uh, stagnating at any point, is it important for you to to have thought ahead though to to what could possibly be the the, the number fifteen, number sixteen, particularly when you 
you're deciding uh, what a mode of transport is going to be? I try not to plan too far ahead, just so I'm kind of open to the opportunities and, and chances that come along. Um, I think when you've got a long, everything mapped out, as I, as I did when I kind of just did the, did the normal nine to five, you've got much less room for adventure and chance in your life. And, mm-hmm. I, and I really love the magic that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that said, you know, I'm starting now. I'm, I'm taking a year off the thousands this year to work on some community projects okay. uh, and other stuff. But I am starting to look ahead. I've got 11 journeys left and mm. there's only, I've, there's maybe a hundred different forms of non-motorized transport yeah, I could wow. use. <laughs> but there's there's some I really want to take advantage of. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about uh, kite surfing the East African coastline now and mm-hmm. doing a journey with uh, a friend of mine, Darren, who who uh, lost the use of his legs in a climbing accident. But we're talking about taking hand bikes around around Iceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Canadian canoe and maybe rowing a little ocean. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But yeah. yeah, I'm definitely thinking a little bit about it. <laughs> no, that's good to hear. Well, Dave, it's not just about doing the challenge that matters, but also where it takes place, I, I'm sure is also equally important. Is that the part that makes up the adventure and the non-motorized task that you're doing? Is that the challenge part of it? How do you see it? It really varies. I think sometimes locations are uh, are way more challenging than others. I've done a couple of trips across Europe, and that's pretty run-of-the-mill. You know you're always going to be able to to get food and water and find a a place to to camp. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think each journey just has a completely different face, and uh, while they're probably a little bit tougher than you know your average holiday, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I it's still a choice. You know, I, I mm. prefer to spend my my time kind of you know gunning along, swimming down a river, or or, or, or paddling a stand up than yeah. uh, than just lying on a beach. For me, that that's where the the, the challenge and the adventure element really comes in. And mm. um, obviously, different locations come up with with the different challenges. So I I took a kick scooter around Japan, and for me, the <laughs> cultural differences were were harder than riding a kick scooter at the beginning. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I think sometimes you just have to chuck yourself in headfirst and know that it's going to work out Mm. wherever you go. If you if you wear a good smile um, and have have a brilliant icebreaker (laughs) in the form of your random form of transport or your purpose (laughs) or your mission, Mm. uh, yeah, it's it it always leads to new friendships, even if you you don't share at the same time. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned some of the challenges which have formed part of Expedition One Thousand. Some are land based, others are on the water. Which one so far has been the most difficult to complete uh, and for what reason i think first and foremost the swim uh, okay. I'd, I'd not swum more than 100 meters in one go before i jumped into the missouri river wow. and uh, i think you switch everything else off though and and i always do this i, I usually haven't tried the form of transport or or, or excelled at it until the journey begins okay. uh, so then it's it, it's a, it's a slow first week or two just just working out mind and body and and how this contraption works or at least how i can move and it's amazing. I, I think you give something uh, four full days, mm-hmm. uh, and even if you're a complete novice at the beginning, suddenly it's it's so familiar it becomes home. You know how to carry your gear and mm. and pack everything up. You know how long you can go before resting, uh, mm-hmm. and you know where the ideal places to camp are, how to stay safe, uh, and all of that. Uh, it's all a you know it's partly a case of management, I suppose, but. Mm. Um, I, I do this stuff because I want to be alive. I'm, I'm not interested in near-death experiences and taking risks. I, mm. uh, I, I just love this kind of slow, tortoise-like pace across mm. the surface. And, and then all of the things that happen on those days. I love waking up and not knowing where I'm going to be sleeping the next night and mm. knowing that even if it's, 
you know, lying down in a in a storm storm drain. <laughs> it's it's you know, it's somewhere to sleep. Yeah. Uh, it's not the end of the world if you don't have a shelter over your head. Mm, definitely. Well, Dave, interestingly, many of the guests that we've had on on the Hard as Nails podcast, they've they've taken on challenges all alone and sometimes with no support or assistance along the way, like mm. you have. Why do you enjoy doing many of your adventures as solo efforts? Oh, it's just it, it's freedom. I think that's the descriptive word for for all of this. I think if you if you just go on a normal holiday with four friends, mm. everything is so much slower. All the decisions are split. You know, someone's always faffing around in the bathroom before you want to go, and <laughs> everyone packs at a different pace, even if you wake up in the same camp. So, uh, going going solo, while there's you know there's there's pros and cons to company uh, i i just love being able to make all of those decisions by myself mm. how fast i go when i stop uh who i chat to and also i think when you're traveling by yourself you're so much more likely to meet people mm. uh when you're when you're with other people that you know you're you're more you're more contained you're less vulnerable so mm. it's uh it's less likely for other people to approach you and and, mm. and you know offer help and and kindness too so mm. yeah i think it's just that that all-around freedom uh, it, it really enriches a trip Wow, amazing. As you've uh, touched on briefly, Dave, you don't really train too much before each challenge. I mean, of course, you keep fit and you stay healthy, but you don't do any specific training for that particular challenge that you're about to do. Why, why is that? Why don't you, you know, when you pick up the skateboard or you, you, you pick up another form of non-motorized transport, why don't you give yourself two, three months to get accustomed to it before you tackle the challenge? One, I think that just makes it too easy. And two, <laughs> and two who's got the time? I think <laughs> if, you, if you train for a thousand plus mile trip, then you're going to be, if you train properly mm-hmm. you're, uh, to condition up, you're going to be exhausted before you yeah. start. And I, 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 I guess I made a decision pretty early on when I, I was looking around at other people who were, who were doing similar stuff or at least making a career of sorts from adventure that um, there was a real focus on, on diet and fitness. And, mm. you know, they were all totally ripped with amazing abs, which I'll never have. And, <laughs> Uh, and I just thought, you know, this is, it's not real for a lot of people. It's mm. not, it's not a realistic aim to, to be this kind of perfect body shape and, and have this incredible healthy lifestyle. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, we, we all have our flaws. And I think, uh, I, I just wanted to prove that you can, you can do these adventures, not necessarily, uh, you know, taking, taking all of all of your year to mm-hmm. to do them and you don't you don't have to be uh, an incredible athlete you don't have to be amazingly experienced mm-hmm. i think it's important to work out you know what what might hurt or 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 kill you on a trip <laughs> like this and also what make what might make a trip stop early um, mm-hmm. but apart from that i knew that if i jumped on a form of transport it wouldn't take long to get used to it and mm-hmm. i think we're we're so often put off by things that we're, we're not good at because we, we need instant satisfaction these yeah. days. And I, I just wanted to say, look, you know, everybody, you can do this if you want to. Mm. And I'm going to show you, <laughs> you know, I'm going <laughs> to jump on and do this thing for the first time. And a few months later, I'll be a, I'll be a long way down the road. But I just, I, I didn't want to want to be this expert. Mm. I just want to be a bit of a, uh, a bit of a fool, just, just deciding to do things that, you know, mm. ideas that almost certainly should have stayed in the pub. Uh, <laughs> but instead, I wake up the next morning and turn it into a lifestyle. Yeah. Wow. It's a fascinating approach. Uh, Dave, 
now doing these challenges, uh, the, you do them for the experience uh, and the, the enjoyment of it, not necessarily to to break any records. I mean, you've, you have broken and set a number of amazing records, but sometimes that, that just comes as a reward after completing the challenge. However, when you're not competing against the clock to finish in a certain time period, does that mean it makes the challenge for you less daunting physically as, as opposed to someone who's an extreme endurance athlete uh, who's pushing themselves to try and complete a specific challenge within a certain time? Yeah, for sure. I think there's, you know, there's a massive difference between completing an Ironman and then, uh, you know, swimming down a river on your own, on your own clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, f- for me, competition and racing against the clock, I, well, I, I really did kind of eating miles for breakfast. I, I love kind of setting myself a goal and, and hitting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to downplay the physical side of, of moving slowly. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the, I think the, the mental focus is different. Uh, I, I want to be focused on the, on the place around me. I don't want to be whizzing so fast for the sake of miles or, or hitting a time that I don't experience mm. the, the world around me. I just, personally, I just don't see the point in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I totally understand this buzz for a physical challenge and to um, and to be as fast and, and fit as possible. But mm-hmm. uh, for me, that's that that's a secondary goal. Mm-hmm. Now, it's probably like my 10th most important thing on my <laughs> list. Uh, I, I really, I, yeah, I want to see the place I'm in. Yeah. I, I, I want to understand what it looks like from the random form of transport that I've chosen to travel. I, more than ever, I want to get to know the people that I meet. Yeah. Uh, I think these, these journeys are a, a priority for me in terms of a refresher that humans are good and kind. Uh, and it's so easy to forget that whenever you look at a newspaper or watch the television and every time you're on an adventure, the kindness of strangers is never more apparent, mm. uh, especially when traveling, traveling solo. You know, there's always somebody who just comes out of nowhere and offers a meal or a bed or shelter or a shower. And um, you don't you don't get that when you're in a self-contained world, when mm. you've got a home to live in and you're you're heading between kind of work and friends and home. It's uh you don't need that help. You're not vulnerable. And I, mm. and I, I love kind of digging out those situations and being in that spot where other mm. people can help, I suppose. Yeah, taking the time to, to catch the scenery and uh, make new friends along the way. And that ties in very well with uh, your, your, your free-spirited nature, Dave. I mean, I'm not saying you're a hippie or anything like that, uh, <laughs> but, but you come across as very being very carefree and uh, who just goes with the flow of things. Now, having this sort of attitude to life, does it put any less pressure on you mentally before and during a challenge? Or do you still feel that you get tested and have to dig deep psychologically in order to complete an expedition? Yeah, I guess it's, it's quite easy to become a bit laissez-faire and think, okay, I've, you know, I've completed uh, a few trips now and uh, and I know what I'm doing. But e- e- every location, every form of transport comes up with its own challenges. And I'm, I'm tested on, on every one of these trips. And and I, I like that I'm tested. I don't I don't just want to sit still and just be the same person all of all of my life. It's, I think that that's where the challenge and the test really comes into its own. Um, I think, yeah, I <laughs> it, I, I I do though first and foremost believe that you know if you if if you approach something with a smile and a good attitude, knowing that it'll work out and a willingness to work hard, um, then then you can achieve anything. Mm. Uh, and it's apart from maybe just kind of just flying without wings, <laughs> you know, there, <laughs> there has to be a bit of a limit. But yeah. um, I, I I we're constantly surrounded by excuses and naysayers. And, and people saying that this is the way that life should be, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm I'm definitely not 
uh, kind of spouting a message that everyone should give up their jobs and go and do adventures for the rest of their life. Mm. But I, I, there's there's something really, really powerful about setting a far off goal, something that you're not sure you can you can attain, mm. um, and just just going for it, just trying, um, and and just seeing where that road takes you. I I think there's a real beauty in that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Dave, I mentioned at the start uh, the filmmaking side of your life. Why why did you decide to to make these documentaries uh, alongside the expeditions you go on? I guess it's been an evolving process. On that on on the first trips I did, there was a document crew following me as I was on my skateboard and uh, we totally fell out Uh, I guess our our end game our motives were were completely different again it was it was super hard being on the road for for six months Um, and even though I was I was on the skateboard and they were in a van it's Mm. it's still not easy driving at slow pace for a long period of time so sadly we fell out and and after that I I didn't get any say over the documentary that was made over that Mm -hmm. uh, after that uh, about that journey yeah. and that was that was really sad and, and and it hurt me a lot because it was the first big challenge i'd done i i kind of lost the control over telling my my biggest story to date and mm-hmm. i just hated that so after that i i decided to i just didn't trust anyone with a camera and i <laughs> i i taught myself how to use one on a pretty basic level mm-hmm. and then slowly bit by bit as i as i filmed self-filmed my trips i started to learn uh tricks and tips and and uh started to get a little bit better certainly good enough to to tell my own story even though you know my films for quite a while and sometimes occasionally even now aren't aren't the best quality um you know i certainly and that's mainly down to you know a willingness to put you know hours and 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 days and weeks into into editing a big film but i love i love even filming with a camera we've all got a really really powerful camera and editing system in our pockets with our mm. smartphones mm-hmm. uh so kind of starting simple and then building up to the bigger stuff mm. but I, I love telling a story i think stories make the world go around they're so much more important than mm. than anything else and uh I, I guess the the added benefit to being able to tell a story, whether it's standing on stage in front of a couple of hundred kids or mm. um, or sharing a film, is your stories have a power to make other people make uh, better decisions. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like that knock-on. And, and do you find it difficult at all, Dave, when, when you're out there on an expedition to try to remember, oh, I need to film this now or I need to stop and take a break and, and check that uh, what I've recorded is a good enough quality? Does that factor into it at all? On a very small level, but uh, I, I should say, I think it's really important to be mindful on these trips. I don't just want to be staring at a screen yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, I'm doing it because I really enjoy it, uh, whether it's whether it's you know traveling on a stand-up paddleboard or, or making a film. Mm-hmm. So I, I, really, I really dig finding a good shot or telling a good mm-hmm. story or capturing a moment that I could easily miss if I was lazy and just decided to... No, I just crack on. You know, it would be. It's much, much easier to continue doing what you're doing um, and not stopping. Uh, so I, I really relish it. If I, if I feel like I've, um, if I've got too much footage, I'm not looking forward to the edit then because mm. I've got hours and hours to to seep through before I can make the final film. So mm-hmm. I try and just film what I feel like I need, um, and knowing how to edit now uh, really makes it easier for me to capture mm-hmm. uh, exactly what I know I'm going to put in. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think there there has to be a balance. I love telling a story. I love making a film, but um, if you do it too much, then 
you know, suddenly the, the, the base reason for you doing the adventure is gone. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> you don't go anywhere. <laughs> well, telling stories, uh, Dave, you also do them through the form of books. I mean, you're an author as well. How does that compare to, to the filmmaking side of it? I mean, putting together an awesome documentary of an adventure or detailing the experience on the page of a book. I mean, how, how do they compare for you? They're so different. Mm-hmm. Um, they're completely different processes. And I think you... You naturally capture the moments that uh, that I guess are, are little milestones in each day when you're when you're making a travel documentary. But um, in a book, you you try and cover everything, uh, and that's uh, and that's more so. That's that's the the inner battles. That's the the thought processes, and it's not always as easy to capture those on film. I I, I love kind of being able to set aside some time and, and writing. And mm. over the last few years, I've, I've struggled more and more. Life has become uh, I'm not going to say busy. That I think that's the wrong word. But I'm I don't I don't stop. I've always got kind of eight or nine different projects going on, and um, my mind's like a little washing machine. Mm-hmm. So I I've really struggled to turn off and uh, and concentrate on a book. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm slowly kind of building up to to being able to do that again. I'm really looking forward to that process. It's, yeah. it's very calming and cathartic. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to the next book when when you decide to to release it. Uh, <laughs> well, Dave, I'm interested to know now. Have you felt within yourself that you've changed at all since embarking on Expedition 1000, specifically when when we're looking at emotions and, and mentally? Yeah, different bloke entirely. Oh. Um, complete, completely different human in the last 13 years since I since I quit the job and started skating. Uh, I think um, my, my attitude to life has completely changed. Uh, I think I still go up and down. I think when you're, uh, when you're kind of used to, you know, the highest highs and kind of being on, a, I guess, a slightly higher medium level of, of general happiness than, you know, than I definitely was when I was a complete <laughs> depressed graphic designer. Yeah. Um, you still kind of suffer the lows in with that, whether it's kind of a post-expedition blues or, um, you know, the, the stress that comes uh, when someone else, uh, you know, has actions have an impact on you. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not always great at being able to, to deal with that because I've become so independent over the last few years and I've tried to take control of everything. So mm. I, uh, I keep myself on a level. Uh, so I think as, as a person, I'm completely different. The way I approach life is mm. um, uh, a world apart. I guess we always we always carry carry that stuff from our childhood that that's always going to be there. Mm. I, uh, as a kid, I, my dad was in the Royal Air Force and we moved around to almost every single year when I was a child, which meant I was uh, I was really good at making friends fast, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how to keep friends long term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that that's very much the case now. Um, I think slowly, slowly, bit by bit, I'm learning, but I don't really kind of put much emphasis or importance on things like birthdays or Christmas. It's just Mm-hmm. Um, I think each day is as important as the next. Mm. Well, you're a big believer in saying yes, Dave, so much so that you founded a Say Yes More, which is a, a motto of yours that has become quite a movement as it is. Uh, now, the theory behind it is it's, it's not to say yes to absolutely everything. Otherwise, I mean, you won't be able to live your life. It's supposed mm-hmm. to help people to open up to new experiences. How would you suggest people go about doing this? We, we reach a moment sometimes where, where we're ready for something different. Mm-hmm. And when, when a brand new idea, uh, way out of your normal box, starts, starts kind of ticking away at you and, and nibbling at your brain, mm-hmm. I think that's when you, when you really need to start considering making a big change. I, I think it, 
as as we've said a couple of times already, it's really easy just to carry on living the life that we used to, mm-hmm. carry on doing uh, what we know. But uh, make, making a change sometimes and, and working on a project or going on a trip that's impactful and has a purpose, it, mm-hmm. um, it really revs us up. It gives us a whole new level. So uh, for me, saying yes more uh, is, is a really important life skill. Uh, one yes is in, innately positive. Uh, and if you approach everything, whether it's you know getting over a trauma or a brand new business relationship with with positivity, it's way more likely to be mm-hmm. successful than uh, it is if you're a no person. Mm-hmm. Every time we say yes to to something, we we learn a new skill. We uh, it, that that learning might be I don't want to do that damn thing again, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay too. That's part. Of, that's totally part of life, and you'll never know until you try it. Yeah. So I think it's just this it's this ethos of um, not not just trying new stuff and and becoming a better you, but also just being kind, looking after the folks around you, and mm. and carrying a general positivity. Uh, you know, keeping life bubbling, if you like. <laughs> yeah. And now, when you take this message of say yes more to your motivational talks, as you mentioned earlier, you speak to quite a few different uh, uh, school children. Have you noticed how they receive the information? Really well. Uh, on on the whole, now I've been I've been speaking kind of professionally for for seven or eight years, okay. and and I started off giving a couple of hundred talks for free at schools after my skateboarding trip, and mm-hmm. slowly working out you know what stories you know hit to mark, and um, especially when 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 people come up after a talk and said, man, that's that's really you know uh, changed some chemicals inside me. That's <laughs> that's uh, that's made me decide to do this thing that I've been thinking about for a while. Um, after. Uh, when that happens, that's that's amazing. There's there's few better feelings in the world than that. I I definitely didn't start off uh, wanting to be a motivational speaker, and I say motivational in inverted commas, if you like. I um, I think our strongest stories are the ones that we can we can tell about our own experiences rather than something we've picked up from from someone else's. Um, and it's a real incentive for me to keep on keep on doing new stuff, whether it's it's a kind of social experiments or <laughs> or long long term trips. Say yes more has become a really big part of my life now. It was just a personal motto, but since sharing it, um, we've got a community now called the Yes Tribe, which mm-hmm. was born out of a, a simple camping trip. I, I didn't know who was following me on Facebook, so I went on a project to turn them into real humans and started by saying, "Come and." come camping with me near London mm-hmm. uh, just for a night and uh, 19 people turned up on wow. that on that first <laughs> camp out and now we've got a, a community of, of thousands of people wow. we've got a converted double-decker bus and uh, an annual festival called Yesterval mm-hmm. uh, creating these spaces and situations where people can have important chats like conversations that aren't always easy to have mm-hmm. in normal life uh, with your normal friend and worship group uh, it, it, it's amazing what's happened since then, uh, creating yeah. this really great support network. Well, Dave, you've got a, a very big adventure coming up, and it's going to require you to say yes, or <laughs> rather I do. It's your wedding. <laughs> How does your fiancé feel about all of this, The what you do, the adventures? And, and once you tie the knot, uh, will the expeditions become less frequent, you think? I should say right now that I'm... I'm we we live on a boat together in in London, so it's, okay. it's quite a small space. And she's uh, she's down the other end of the boat, and I I'm in the bedroom, so I think she can hear pretty much everything I say. So I better be careful. Yeah. Um, I think we 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 met a couple of years ago, um, and 
you know, I'd been I'd I'd been doing this stuff for, for over ten by then, so it, it wasn't like I was just kind of a really bored accountant. And then we met, and I decided to spend six months a year abroad. <laughs> uh, I think she uh, she she knew exactly what she was getting into, uh, and and she, I mean we're totally supportive of each other. I mm. think I don't I, I don't see anything changing at all um, when we tie the knot in September, uh, and I think that's exactly how it should be for me. It's it's not about that day. It's uh, it's not about anything else other than that commitment to uh, to spending your life with somebody. And mm. um, I feel so much more grounded than than I ever did when I was uh, when I was running mm. running solo. If you're like, uh, it's uh, yeah, I've got no worries at all about that. Yeah, that's no, wonderful. You have that partner is going to stick with you side by side no matter what. Well, finally, Dave, uh, when it comes to the next adventure, I mean, you don't like to plan too far ahead uh, into the future. As you, you don't know what you're going to be doing or how you're going to be feeling in the next, uh, I don't know, six months down the line. So instead of asking mm. that, I want to know from you, as we end off the podcast, once the 25 expeditions have come to an end, do you think there's going to be that sense of uh, vulnerability, nervousness, fearfulness that uh, you're not too sure what's going to be next? I don't think so. I think I think there'll be a real sense of accomplishment. I mean, I've still got 11 trips left, so mm-hmm. that's that may take as much as the next decade. So mm-hmm. I think by then I'll be, God help us, I'll be approaching 50. <laughs> so um, I, but you know, every single step of this trip, I've I've got so much going on. Running, running, say yes more as a social enterprise and. Uh, and, and doing so many other projects beyond Expedition 1000's mm-hmm. adventures, and I think that was that was part of the the idea at the beginning. I felt like if I if I jumped on that skateboard and headed off into the sunset, then um, or rather the sunrise, then I uh, mm-hmm. whatever whatever needed to happen would work out, uh, and it and it totally has. And I know that over the next few years, more stuff's gonna gonna raise his <laughs> ugly head. And, uh, Mate, if I if I feel desperately like I need to continue uh, with thousand mile adventures, then maybe it's maybe it's time for twenty five quirky motorized journeys <laughs> yeah. out of a thousand miles, and I will have earned it by then. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I don't I don't think I'm going to get to that stage and, and have nothing to do. Yeah, well, going from uh, being a couch potato to one of the most inspiring <laughs> people on the planet, David, the adventures you've been on and the challenges uh, you've completed are truly magnificent. Uh, thank you for giving up uh, your time to share your stories with us on the Hard as Nails podcast, and we're looking forward to seeing what the next uh, expedition will be. Thanks so much for your time.